Welcome and thanks for listening to the sermon podcast from First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu. When we go about our lives, sometimes it takes effort to bring God into the day-to-day. We might think, how can the God of the universe be concerned with me? If that's your thought, today's message has the answer. Here's First Pres Executive Coordinator Jenny Sung and the sermon, Living Hope. Hi, good morning, everyone. I'm Jenny Sung, the executive coordinator here and campus pastor for our Vine downtown campus. It is so wonderful to gather together, to be in person here, hello, and online across the digital miles. It is wonderful to worship our God. Now, we've been following something called the lectionary, which is just basically it's a selection of passages that covers like the entirety of scripture in a calendar year. And it connects us to the larger church because a lot of churches follow this lectionary calendar. Today, we're gonna be reading from the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. If you desire, will you please stand for the reading of God's word as we honor him. This is from Hebrews chapter four, verses 12 through 16. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Now let me tell you a little bit about this group reading this letter. It's, the book of Hebrews was addressed to a group who mostly were Jewish believers who had stepped out of Judaism and into Christianity. They were followers of Jesus. They were running low on faith. Why? Well, there was a lot of social pressure and harassment and real consequences like loss of property or even persecution like imprisonment for their beliefs. And this all added to the daily challenges. As Christians, this group, they were struggling, struggling to live what they believed about Jesus. And with the realities of the hardship and the pressure and loss, they were starting to question what they believed, maybe even drift from what they believed. You know, giving into temptation, calling it quits, throwing in the towel, and just go back to that life of comfort with less harassment. You know, I think we can relate sometimes. We all have pressures and challenges in life, and some of us even self-declare Christians for many, many years, you know. We can have challenges or even events that just kind of shake us you know, shake us to the core, even to the brink of doubt or confusion. Hearing Pastor Zan's sermon, you know, they, it hit us hard on the realities of what many are going through, of illness and struggle and death just in the last few years in our congregation alone. And in the last year and a half of this pandemic, things have become even more acute. 
The struggle is sometimes enough to tip the scale, right? From managing kind of well to uh, the danger of drifting, you know, maybe even just calling it quits. Could be a crisis of conscience, a crisis of faith, maybe even of life or death. When we feel the struggle is just too much and the weight is too much of a burden, the temptations are too great, we can just feel like we're alone, alone in the dark, like we've fallen down this deep, dark hole. You know, we can wonder, does anyone understand what I'm going through right now? God, are you even there? Are you for real? Do you hear me? Are you listening? And our passage in Hebrews today gives us tremendous hope to a group of people who needed a reminder of what they believed, that yes, there was more to life than what they were experiencing. And the author of Hebrews shouts out in encouragement, don't give up, don't lose the faith, hold on, press on towards maturity, don't turn around. Maybe this is a word for you today. The title of the sermon is called Living Hope, in that we have a very precious gift in the Word of God that is living and active and relevant to our lives today, that it points toward the person of Jesus Christ, who is our living hope. Will you please pray with me as we go into God's Word together? Come, Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for being with us. And Lord, we pray that our hearts may be soft, our minds may be open to your truth and your truth only. Lord, remove any of the barriers that would keep us from coming closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says that the word of God is active and living. It's sharper than a double-edged sword that it penetrates deep down into joints and marrow, dividing soul and spirit. It's word of God spoken to the people of God and the written word of God. It's powerful. Now, almost all of us have heard of the Bible, and I would venture to say that most of us here and online, we, we read it regularly. The Bible has 66 books in it, and it has many authors but one divine inspiration. God himself. Over a period of 1,500 years, there are at least 40 authors. You've got kings, scholars, philosophers, fishermen, poets, statesmen, historians, doctors. They wrote all these different types of literature in the Bible. Pastor Nikki Gumbel, who pioneered the Alpha Course, describes the Bible as simply God speaking. That's why the Bible is referred to as divinely inspired word of God. But you know, the Bible is more than just like a collection of books about God. It's more than a theological study or even a history lesson. It is uniquely powerful because it has the ability to change hearts. God still speaks today and his word will penetrate down to joints and marrow dividing soul and spirit. And it has this power to transform our hearts, our families, our communities, and the world. You might be wondering, well, how is that? You know, isn't the Bible just like a good rule book for life? You know, it's a good thing to read because it's good for us like taking vitamins or something, you know? Sure, 
It can be. But if we stop at that, if we just only stop at that, we miss the entire point because it's so much more. The Word of God is living and active, and it invites us into this dynamic relationship, this connection to a living God. Nikki Gumbel describes God's Word as almost like a love letter from God, that God desires to be in relationship with us here and now, that when we read the Bible, you'll sense this relationship between His people and God. Take this example in Psalm 119, verses 10 through 16. Now, as you listen, just imagine this person's heart when they talk about the Word of God. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. And the prophet Jeremiah in the Bible says, your words were found and I ate them and your words became for me a joy and a delight, a delight of my heart. For I have been called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. These are words that just reek of relationship, right? Uh, Of this connection with someone very personal to them. Now, I know some look at the Bible and, you know, view it as something very outdated or irrelevant or boring or very dry. You know, in fact, some of us find it hard to go through the entire Bible and and can find it challenging to engage with the Bible. You know, we're told to read it and that it's important, it's good for us. But, you know, some of us just kind of maybe get a few passages on a Sunday when we're here together. And, you know, if you have a devotional, you might get a scripture or two. And that's kind of it until we come back again. Now, Fuller Seminary did this interview with Fuller trustee Bill Huang, who created a project called the Public Reading of Scripture to kind of help people engage with the Bible. It's where you gather together with people together in community and you listen to the Bible together. And this Bible is audio, so it has great actors and sound effects. And it just kind of helps you get into the story. I want to show you a short clip of this fuller interview. My journey really began when I was having a lot of problems in our business about five, six years ago. And I knew one thing that this was a situation that, you know, money connection couldn't really help. But somehow I was reminded I have to go to the words of God. But there was a problem that whenever I try to read Bible, I just couldn't continue. So instead of going to Bible, I went to Amazon. And then I started looking for, is there a great, you know, uh, audio book? Then I began reading the Bible and listening, and a miracle happened, meaning I began reading Bible for hours. And then I had to stop and think about what just happened. I knew God's Word was a great content, so content was great. But the delivery part, whenever I try to do it myself, I failed. If you look at a typical Protestant church service, how much time do they read Bible taught? 
mm-hmm. in, in your church or other churches. Usually a couple of passages, yeah, the so, Old Testament and so, New Testament, a so, psalm. So maybe a, a minute, yeah. okay? Yeah, maybe two. Yeah, one or two minutes, <laughs> yeah. okay? Entire Bible reading takes about 80 hours. Mm-hmm. When I ask a lot of church leaders and pastors, they have no idea. And that's something that they're telling people to read. They don't even know how long it takes. Hmm. Yeah, so let's say you have a Christian who goes to church so faithfully entire life, they will never be able to finish reading the Bible together. Hmm. So most Christians are like people who watch previews of a movie constantly. <laughs> That's a great image. <laughs> yeah, preview of a movie constantly. And somebody's explaining to me what the movie's about. So I feel like I watched it, but I never did. Like I know the storyline, but yeah, I don't yeah, really know yeah, the right, story, right, right? right? I haven't been caught up in the whole story. Yeah. And then, so let, let's have people watch the movie. Huh. But, you know, maybe go to the theater together. That's such a good line, right? It's like the, the movie preview analogy. But let's go to the theater together. And you know, if, if some of you are struggling with just kind of engaging with the Word of God, maybe doing it together is better, you know? There are groups meeting on Zoom every week, different days of the week, doing JSU groups. And there are even some in New York and groups in Korea who are even meeting. So if you want to dive in, just go to the JSU page on the HIM website, himonline.org. We all want to hear God speak. We all want to live out his word. We want to grow closer to God. And as we read or listen to God's word, as we open up our hearts, we allow his word to penetrate deep, dividing soul and spirit down to our joints and marrow as we connect with the divine author. You know, sometimes we could look at something and not really quite see the value in it, right? And The difference is really when you start to have a connection with it, you know? It might be good, but then as you kind of have meaning with it, there's a stronger connection. You know, it could really take things to a whole new level. Now, I have these beautiful photographs that you'll see on the screen. You'll see like a beautiful monk seal photo, and then there's this gorgeous sunset, and it's amazing artwork, right? It's beautiful. But you know, these images mean so much more to me than just great artwork. And it's because of the relationship that I'm having with the photographer, that I'm developing a friendship with my friend Carol who took those photos. And it's because of the relationship that I'm forming with my friend Carol. As I get to know her, I see her passion and her love shine through these photos. These photos, it takes on a whole new meaning. Isn't it like that? When you have like photographs or drawings or, or something that someone created and you get it, you know, maybe things from your, your grandkids or your nieces or nephews or students in your class, and when you see it, they just give you such delight and joy. Take a look at these photos. You know, these photos, they might just look like great things to you, but when I see it, they give me such joy, such delight, and it's because of the relationships that I have with the person who drew the photos or with the person who made that food. It's that connection. That was my niece who drew the BTS slugs. I just love Amy. You know, the Bible can be a good manual. It could be great, but kept at a safe distance if you want. 
you know, I won't let the Bible transform me. I'm not going to let it touch me. Or we can open ourselves up to it and discover the greatest relationship of all time. God is about relationships. And the more that you open them to God's word, the more that you open yourself up to that relationship as you experience joy and peace and healing. When we look at relationships, the book of Hebrews points to the greatest relationship of all time, Jesus Christ. In fact, if I could summarize the book of Hebrews in one word, seriously, it would be Jesus. It really is Jesus. As we go on in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 15, it talks about this high priest, Jesus. We have this great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess because of Jesus. For we don't have a high priest who is unable to empathize with us in our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. So let me just explain to you a very simple understanding of the word high priest. You know, uh, the people reading this passage would have understand what this high priest reference was. You know, the people of God, they would have this priest called the high priest who would go to the temple of God and offer sacrifices for all of the people for, for their sins, right? And so this high priest would go once a year and do the sacrifices, but you know, people would keep sinning so that he would have to do it over and over again. But the author of Hebrews here is saying, we have this great high priest, Jesus, who actually died for our sins, conquered sin once and for all, for all eternity. That's it, it's covered. Jesus took care of it. He is our high priest, get it? But not only so, he's our high priest, but he also empathizes with us. We have this great empathizer in Jesus Christ. This is one of the most comforting passages that you'll read in Hebrews because it talks about someone who understands us in our weakness, our temptations, our struggles. Why? Because he stepped into the depth of humanity with us. Jesus, the Son of God, came to earth as a baby and he experienced the full range of humanity. He's someone who can empathize with us He's someone who's there when we want to be understood. Someone that we can connect with when we're in that deep, dark hole. Like I mentioned in the beginning, you know, there can be times when things are so rough and so tough, and uh, we just wonder, like, does anybody understand what I'm going through? God, do you understand what I am going through? Are you even real? But our passage today points toward Jesus as someone who does understand, someone who does empathize with us. He is real. And it's not just gonna be someone who watches from a distance, right? Who feels sorry for us, or someone who is unable to understand or relate to us, or maybe just dismiss us. No, Jesus understands what you're feeling, the pain that we go through, because he entered into our sacred space of pain and he helps us in times of trouble. I wanna show you this great clip on empathy. It's by Dr. Brene Brown, who spent the last 20 years studying empathy, and her books are like, five of her books are number one on the New York Times bestsellers. 
She defines empathy as connecting with people so that we know we're not alone when we struggle. Let's watch this clip together. So what is empathy and why is it very different than sympathy? Empathy fuels connection. Sympathy drives disconnection. Empathy, it's very interesting. Teresa Wiseman is a nursing scholar who studied professions, very diverse professions where empathy is relevant and came up with four qualities of empathy. Perspective taking, the ability to take the perspective of another person or, or recognize their perspective as their truth. Staying out of judgment, not easy when you enjoy it as much as most of us do. <laughs> Recognizing emotion in other people and then communicating that. Empathy is feeling with people. And to me, I always think of empathy as this kind of sacred space when someone's kind of in a deep hole and they shout out from the bottom and they say, I'm stuck, it's dark, I'm overwhelmed. And then we look and we say, hey, climb down. I know what it's like down here. And you're not alone. Sympathy is, ooh, <laughs> it's bad, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, no, you want a sandwich? <laughs> um, empathy is a choice and it's a vulnerable choice because in order to connect with you, I have to connect with something in myself that knows that feeling. Rarely, if ever, does an empathic response begin with at least. I had a, yeah. And we do it all the time because you know what? Someone just shared something with us that's incredibly painful and we're trying to silver lining it. I don't think that's a verb, but I'm using it as one. We're trying to put the silver lining around it. So I had a miscarriage. Oh, at least you know you can get pregnant. I think my marriage is falling apart. At least you have a marriage. <laughs> John's getting kicked out of school. At least Sarah is an A student. But one of the things we do sometimes in the face of very difficult conversations is we try to make things better. If I share something with you that's very difficult, I'd rather you say, I don't even know what to say right now. I'm just so glad you told me. Because the truth is, rarely can a response make something better. What makes something better is connection. I love that sandwich line. You want a sandwich? What makes something better is connection. Connection heals. Our passage in Hebrew says that we have someone who connects with us, our empathizer, our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus is not a bear, okay? <laughs> Hear me out, he's not a bear. But like the bear in the video, Jesus did make that vulnerable choice to bear our sins, to bear our suffering, to understand our weaknesses and enter into that sacred space in all of our grief, pain, and moments of desperation. When we're down in that deep, dark hole, maybe we're battling depression or anxiety, or the temptations are great, or we're filled with regret, the sum of all our human weaknesses, pick one, Jesus, the Son of God, our high priest, is one who empathizes, and he offers his grace, his mercy, himself in our time of need. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 says, Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the cross 
so that we might not die to sins, but live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. So in an eternal perspective, Jesus climbed down that deep, dark hole, and he took our pain, and he took our sin and burden, and then he turned on the light forever. Well, he didn't just turn on the light. He actually became the light. It says, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus invites us to do life with him together, to invite him in as the light of life. He says, come, come all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He promises mercy and grace and help in times of trouble, and he offers the gift of himself, our living hope. Our passage today ends with a charge of boldness. Verse 16 says, let us then approach God, approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. And some of the versions that you read says boldness. Let us go boldly toward the throne of God. And sometimes in the pursuit of relationship, you know, with God in this process of transformation, there can be a tension, right? A tension, this internal struggle in the pursuit of God. And perhaps there's fear or bad past experiences, maybe an insecurity and unworthiness. Thoughts in our head that keep us from approaching God with boldness, with confidence. Maybe it's like, ah, I've been burned. Nah, not doing that again. Or maybe it's, who am I to boldly approach God? Does God know what I've done? Why would God care about me? I remember when I first moved here to, um, from Chicago to Hawaii. This was 26 years ago. My husband and I just stopped going to church, and God was not a conscious choice in our lives back then. I lived how I wanted, in pursuit of my own goals, to finish my master's in intercultural communications and pursue a doctorate on the mainland. That was what I was pursuing. And I had given up on the pursuit of God. You know, I was baptized, I had committed my life to Jesus, but walked a life that really didn't reflect any of that. My past had scars of horrible choices and relationships with consequences that left me with guilt and shame and self-condemnation. Our former church in college had turmoil between the elders and the pastor, the pastor who had married us. And he left the church, and from what we heard, it was not on good terms. Just left this bad taste in our mouths. And we drifted from what we believed, and we drifted from the church. I was in grad school, and I remember some Christian classmates who kept inviting me to church. And I kept rejecting the offer, all these excuses, reject, reject. It was because mainly of the internal struggle I was going through. How could I approach God again? I don't think I have the courage to walk back towards God or trust a church. Ah, oh, it's messy. But God kept sending these different classmates, these different Christian classmates who kept inviting me to go to church. So I finally mustered up the courage and I said yes. And that was my first step back towards God. And I remember when I rededicated my life to Jesus, 
I distinctly remember because it felt like this weight had just literally dropped off my shoulders. I remember feeling this lightness and I laughed out loud. I was laughing out loud because I just felt light and there was a surge of joy. It was amazing. And over the years, God has poured out his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness, his compassion. And even in the deepest hole when my husband died, Jesus was right there with me. He was my light and he's my living hope. And if you tell me, if you told me back then that I would be a lay pastor standing before you here today, I would not have believed it. No way, maybe I would have put a swear word in between that, no way. But you never know. You never know how God is going to use you or me or any of us. You never know. And every small step towards God brings him a thousand steps running closer to you. If you've ever felt inadequate or weak or too bruised to boldly approach the throne of God, well, you're in good company. Welcome to First Prez. <laughs> you know, as Pastor Dan often likes to call our church, we are a hospital for sinners, not a museum of saints. And you've heard the many personal stories of people on our staff and people in our congregation who come up here and share their stories and they practice one of our core values, authenticity. And going back to God's word, you know, if you think those people in the Bible were shiny and perfect, let me remind you, these are people who are used by God in mighty ways. Moses had a speech problem and you know, in anger, he killed another person. David, who was the friend of God, concealed his adultery with murder. Noah, the last righteous man on earth at the time, was a drunk who slept in the nude. Elijah was suicidal, Gideon was afraid, Rahab was a prostitute, Peter denied Christ three times. His disciples fell asleep while praying and the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of our New Testament, was a Pharisee who delighted in killing Christians, in watching people get killed before becoming a Christian. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. And being Christian doesn't make us better than others. It just means that we are following Jesus with all our heart, soul, and minds. The Bible is full of promises and how-tos and lessons learned. And as Christians, we follow Jesus as a lifelong endeavor. We are a group of imperfect people following a perfect God. We may not get it right all the time in every circumstance and every situation. But as Christian writer Rachel Held Evans write in her, writes in her book, Searching for Sunday, Christianity isn't meant to be simply believed. It's meant to be lived, shared, eaten, spoken, and enacted in the presence of people. God invites us to be with him every day. And he invites us to share those experiences with others in the presence of people and in the presence of God. We are God's people who gather like we're gathering now on a Sunday morning. But then we are also then sent out as a sent people to go out and invite others. As God the Father sent Jesus the Son into the world, now Jesus the Son sends us out with the power of the Holy Spirit to our workplaces to our neighborhoods, to our homes, to our businesses, to our world. 
People are looking for Jesus. People are looking for real people with real faith. And sure, you'll run into people like me who rejected the invitation many, many times before saying yes. But you never know when there's going to be a yes. You never know what God is doing behind the scenes, and God is working all the time. You just don't know what the future is like. So keep inviting. Invite others and say, hey, you want to come with me? Come and see. Come try. Come and experience Jesus, my living hope. Maybe you're here and you're saying, I don't know what that's like. I don't know what that's like to experience that. It's all new to me. Maybe you're just looking for real people with real faith and you're waiting to be invited into a community of faith. Maybe you're here and you need a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. You want to rededicate your life to Jesus. You want to hear more of his voice. You want to get more into his word. You want to get closer to him and take that step of faith. You know, if you want to make that decision, say yes to Jesus, or you want to rededicate your life to Jesus today, I just invite you into a very simple prayer. It's a prayer that goes, sorry, thank you, and please. And it could just be echoed in your heart. It's not eloquent, doesn't have to be fancy. Will you just pray this with me? Dear Jesus, I want to know you as my living hope each and every day. I'm sorry for the ways I've ignored you or rejected you. I need you, Lord. Thank you for being my God, for dying on the cross for my sins and giving me your living word, your grace, your mercy. Please come into my life so I can experience your love and love others with your love. Will you guide me? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now, if you prayed this today, it is really good to share that with others and get more prayer. You know, if you're here in person, we have the prayer corner on the lanai. Pray with someone or just come find me or anybody and pray with them and tell them your decision. And if you're online, we have many people who will stay even after the service who will pray with you one-on-one. And it's really good to connect because there are some practical steps that we can give you as you continue to follow Jesus. As we close our service, will you please receive this blessing? Then afterwards, again, like I mentioned, if you want to pray with someone, want to share more about what you're going through, we would love to pray with you. That's what this community is all about. And if you're online, just request prayer. We would love to pray with you. Please receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and his countenance be gracious unto you. And may you always know the joy of our living hope, Jesus Christ, as you follow him all the days of your life. God bless you. In Jesus' name, we declare, amen. Otherwise, have a great Sunday. God bless you. Enjoy the rest of your day. God's word is available to us. It connects us directly to the heart of the living God, allowing us to have a loving relationship with him. 
If you want to catch up on or re-listen to previous services, you can find past sermons on our websites, fpchawaii.org and thevinehawaii.org. You can also find First Pres sermons on most major podcast services and now on YouTube. Please subscribe. In-person worship continues, but still in limited capacity. There are two live services at 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. every Sunday morning. If you'd like to participate, we ask that you sign up through the website on a weekly basis. And both services will be streamed live on the church websites. Once again, fpchawaii.org and thevinehawaii.org. Sign up for First Pres emails where you can get links to sermons, church news and updates, registration for in-person worship, and lots more. And as always, if there's anything First Pres can do for you, you can always reach us through the website or just call 808-532-1111. For Senior Pastor Dan Chun and the entire staff at First Pres, I'm Michael Shishido. Until next time, God bless you, stay safe, and thank you for listening. This sermon podcast is copyright 2021 and produced by the media ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu.